been in this passage for a number of weeks as a point of reference. I'm going to come back to it again today and at least reference it in the beginning here. I do want to thank folks who have been praying for the Collins family and uh, asking and inquiring about whether we're surviving or not. My wife returns with grace tonight after 10 days. They were blessed to be able to go to England to be a part of a little group of folks who play the violin and grace with scholarship to go on a trip uh, for that. And so they have been 10 days in jolly old England. They are eager to get home. We are eager for them to be home. Um, I really, I cannot complain, quite honestly. Um, I think to a credit to my wife, who has done an incredible job of imparting who she is to my girls. I have been very well cared for. Um, really, I, I, my wife is invaluable, but uh, this week, these girls were unbelievable. And so... I'm just actually I'm announcing this so that there's any guys here who are ever interested in my daughters, uh, and any parents here who are going to be interested in like paying a dowry or something. <clears throat> it's going to be huge, huge. <clears throat> they will not come cheap because <clears throat> you are getting a deal. Let me just tell you, I've eaten well, been cared for well, uh, so we've had a wonderful week this week. I appreciate them helping me to continue to work this week while my wife is away. Ezekiel chapter 36, I just mentioned this before we get into the notes this morning. Remember, this is the prophet Ezekiel speaking to a wayward nation, a nation that has gone into exile, a nation that is not honoring God, a nation that is having to come under the correction and judgment of God. So their sin has brought them to this point, but the grace of God is about to come in like a tidal wave and overcome that. Verse 24 God says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you. To walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to obey my rules. Now, we're kind of moving through this passage a little bit at a time and picking up some of the implications here. And the thing that I want to catch again this week and we mentioned last week was this verse is all about what God's going to do. Right? I mean, the only thing that the people have done in this passage is get themselves into trouble. They've contributed sin. God has contributed all the rest. So the the fact that God's going to intervene in their situation is because of God. It's not because of them. The fact that God's going to lavish His grace upon them is not because they've deserved it, but because God has chosen within Himself to do that. The fact that they're going to now have written in their hearts new desires to live a new life in a new way, and they're going to be empowered by the Spirit of God to do that, all is because of what God is doing. Not because of what the people are doing, but because of what God is doing. And God, through the prophet Ezekiel, is informing the people of God about this. And we called this last week indicative statements in the Bible. Where the Bible just makes statements that tell us what is true. It doesn't tell you it's true if you'll do this. It just informs you in, in some 
Behind the scenes activity, this took place. You know, it's kind of like the Academy Awards. You know, before the awards, these were given away. They're just informing you of what happened. You don't need to participate. There's no voting taking place. There's nothing going on that you're a part of. This just happened. Behind the scenes, God chose to do all these things. Now, what I want us to camp out in today is God thought it important that we would know what has happened behind the scenes. The question is, do we know these things? See, indicative statements are things that we know. Imperative statements in the Bible are things that we're told to do. So we do things out of what we know. Well, what happens if we don't know things? What does our life look like when we just don't know what God has to say about our lives? Well, I'll put in your introduction a concern I always have for us in terms of our capacity to learn. I'll sum it up this way. Time, energy, and attention spans are dictating today's way of life. Time, energy, and attention spans are dictating today's way of life. Because the way in which you live flows out of what you know. And, and, you know, some of this isn't because time has changed or energy has changed, right? Time is still the same. We don't have less time. We just feel like we have less time, right? Because we're doing more. We're filling our lives up with more. We're trying to live at greater paces. Uh, This attitude of more, you know, we are in an economic situation because of that attitude. At one point, we'll talk about that a little bit. But we want to live beyond the boundaries of our own lives. So we keep cramming more and more and more stuff. Now, have you noticed, though, when you cram more stuff into your life, you don't wake up the next day with an extra 15 minutes? I've got a bonus hour today because I'm just trying to do a lot more. I used to be lazy, but now I've got an extra, I've got 25 hours in a day. No, you don't. You've still got the same amount of time. You're just trying to do more with it. And in our finiteness, unlike God who's infinite, you know, we're finite. So if I try to do more, I've still got to do more with the same amount of energy that I have in this physical being. So the more I do, the more I do. That doesn't mean that I create a greater capacity to live a human life. I'm still limited. So my time is limited. My energy is limited. And once I spend it and overuse it, I'm going to be affected by it. But another thing that's affecting us today is our attention spans. And this is something that we probably can do something about. But, you know, we, we live, and if we don't pay attention to this, we're not noticing how this is affecting us. We live in kind of a point-and-click world, you know, where you control the, the stimulus in so many ways in your life. And the flow of information into our life, it, it creates an attention span. When the information changes quickly, you get used to it changing quickly, and you begin to want it to change quickly. If you've ever studied anything about TV, now TV has this mesmerizing effect. I don't know, you come home at the end of the day, and you kind of glaze over and just kind of point and click, you know, and just watch, and dribble comes in. There's, there, it's something... I don't know what it is. It's something addictive about just watching the flickering blue screen. But the guys who designed the TV eventually figured out how that affects the person watching it. So uh, it used to be that years ago, programming on TV was designed for the image to change at least every four seconds. So you only had to really have a four-second interest in the image that was on the screen before it would become something else. So when it got boring to you, you only had to wait another second and a half and it was going to change. Now, I'm not even sure it's four seconds anymore. So you have TV that constantly changes images. If you visit the Internet, 
right? I mean, you've got all these images that pop up in the margins of whatever you're looking at. And there's things moving and there's things popping in and out. And you can click when you're sick of looking at that thing. You've got texting. I heard the other day, texting. I heard the other day, texting is now (laughs) being called a literary form. And which one's communication abilities are being weighed by your ability to say all that you have to say in 160 characters or less. How many of you know you won't be getting texts from me? (laughs) I I don't know what I could say in 160 characters. But, you know, that's our attention span now. All it takes now is 160 characters. If you can't get it said in 160 characters, I, I don't have anything to listen to. Now, that's doing something for us in terms of what we believe, what we know, and how we own it. I'm sorry, you can't get real deep with a point-and-click mentality. You can't get real deep in anything if 160 characters is what you're interested in being introduced to. And so, you know, we're becoming this. When it comes to addressing life's issues, we've become pragmatic and thin-convicted. Right? We, we basically, we're moving fast, so whatever it is you're going to bring into my life, it needs to work. That's all I'm interested in. Don't tell me how it works. Don't tell me the source of it. Does it work? That's what I want to know. Listen, that that idea is polluting the pulpit today. It's polluting those who are listening to pulpits today. Because we just want what works. We're not concerned whether it comes from the Bible. We're not concerned whether we can construct the argument from the Scriptures. Does it work? Well, it works for that person. It works for him. Let's get a testimonial. We're going to have someone come up today and share about this. And we get won over by somebody just telling us that thing worked in my life. But when it comes to making decisions in our life, we're living our lives out of these ideas. You know, it comes to finding satisfaction in life. Entertainment. Thrill. Fun. We're just absorbing that stuff from the culture. You know, whatever the culture labels is fun. I mean, you travel from culture to culture. You know, you you don't find professional athletes quite making the same amount of money in different parts of the countries they're making here. Because for us, that's cornerstone entertainment. That's what we want to be entertained by. So we're willing to put up the money to do it. Well, we absorb that from the culture. So, you know, even in the church today, when when it comes to having fun and having a thrill... You know, it's almost like if you're not careful, you'll just default to a sporting event, the latest movie that's out. It's, we're just kind of buying into whatever the culture tells us. Why? Because we're pragmatic and thinly convicted. There's no depth and we're not convinced about things and how we live our lives. You know, marriage, parenting, we have the parenting seminar coming up. You know, a lot of, a lot of marriage and parenting is just, we're just absorbing what we learn from mom and dad. Which, you know, can be good, but it can be terrible. You know, whatever they did, we'd, we're going to do too. Whatever the culture's doing, we're going to do. Uh, next thing you know, we're wondering, you know, you know, should you spank or not? You know, I don't, I don't know. You know, hey, years ago, ain't nobody asking that question years ago. Now they're asking. Why are they asking? Because the culture doesn't do it anymore. Dating. You know, did, should you date? You know, should you, should you approach marriage through the, the means of dating? Well, you know, the culture says so. So, so that's how we get there. Divorce. You know, the culture is divorcing. It's, it's common. It's around us. So we just absorb these things. See, we're just thin convicted. We don't know why we're doing some of the things we're doing. We're not studying them carefully. We're not trying to find out biblically. Are we being informed by the Bible in what we do? You know, most of us, I could say, in categories of relating to God. Right? How many of us, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of us would really just love to have a deep 
passionate, dynamic relationship with God. I think if you're a Christian, everybody here wants that. If you really are a Christian, you may have, have a problem getting there. But if you really are a Christian, you want that. I want a deep, passionate relationship with God. I want something that's vital and effective in my life. Well, how we use time, energy, and our attention span will have a lot to do with that. You just, you know, when God invites us to come wait upon Him and to taste and see that He is good, I don't think that He's planning on doing that in 160 characters or less. And so some of us are just very thin convicted about who God is. We're just running on very little information in our lives. This is a huge concern. If there's a conversation we have as a pastoral team, uh, this would be a dominant concern for us. In the culture in which we live, that the body of Christ is becoming more and more ignorant of biblical truth and less and less pursuant of it. Remember we did a series probably at the beginning of last year about reclaiming the ground of discipleship. Disciples are learners. The very core element of being a disciple is to be absorbing information and truth about God. But that's not necessarily being done at a huge level in the body of Christ today. Here's a warning that I put in your notes. The Christian walk, we're talking about walking here, walking in newness of life. The Christian walk is poorly lived if it is ill-informed. It takes good knowing to produce good living. I love this quote from Sinclair Ferguson. This may be a book that we would want everybody in the church to have read quickly in their life. He has a chapter that I love. It's titled, Knowing is for Living. That's a good way to look at what we know about God. He says, The rather disturbing thought began to dawn on me that many of us who are professing Christians are distressingly weak in our grasp of the basic framework of biblical doctrine. We assume that we know the elements of the message of the New Testament, but sometimes our understanding of them is like that of a child. As I began to ponder on this situation, I realized that perhaps... It was not very different from the conditions with which the Apostle Paul was faced. I remember his repeated question in the letter to the Romans and the first letter to the Corinthians. Do you not know? Do you not know? Well, today I want to talk to us about the well-informed walk, living a well-informed walk. Now turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 1. I'm going to take this verse apart and benefit from it. Ephesians 4, verse 1. And different translations construct the order of the passage differently. I think sometimes some are more beneficial than others. The ESV says this. I, therefore... It's the Apostle Paul speaking. I, therefore, a prisoner... For the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Let's pray together. Father, such wisdom that we will read today that can and will only be absorbed in our lives because of your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Apart from you, Lord, these words will remain foreign to us. Lord, apart from your saving grace that we celebrate today in baptism, our minds would be hostile to the very things that we're reading. But God, you have, you have changed that for all who are here today who know you.
Our minds have been changed. Our hearts have been changed. Your spirit is now present. So we anticipate the unfolding of your word that we might benefit from your grace, the truth contained here in Jesus' name. Amen. Look through a couple of these thoughts here with me. I, Paul says, I urge you. I urge you. This is, this is passion for the apostle. This is urgency in his heart. This is now, he's turning to the people that he's been instructing for three chapters, and then he's turning to them with urgency about how they live their life. Karl Barth says, The appeal is couched in urgent terms, not easily translated into English. The imperative excludes passivity, quietism, a wait-and-see attitude. Yours is the initiative. Do it now. Mean it. You are to do it. Such is the overtones. Now here, you just got in touch with, if you're listening to the Apostle Paul here, you just got in touch with apostolic zeal. Right? Here's the, the man who's been influential in the formation and the growth of the Ephesian church. And now he's speaking as one who has authority and influence. And he is passionate about how you're living your life. He's kind of up in your face here with urgency about the way in which you're walking out your life. Now, I, I want to ask us a question here because you're, you're going to notice in these passages we are, we are turning the corner from indicative statements here into imperative statements. We're turning the corner into, here's what you do. Here's how you live. Do this now. They're, they're commands, they're ex- exhortations from the Apostle Paul. Now, question for us. How do you do when you get around Christian zeal? You know, believers who take their religion seriously. They go after God. They're caring about whether you're going after God. They may be even poking around in your business. They're asking questions. They're sharing things about what they're doing. They're doing stuff that's making you feel guilty for what you're not doing. They're going after this. They're sacrificing that. They're, they're spending money for the glory of God this way. You're spending it differently. You feel that, right? You come under the crosshairs of that. There's urgency and they're sharing this sense of urgency about some ministry that's taking place that they're a part of. And you get around that. How, how does that make you feel? I mean, this is, this is the normal Christian walk, right? If you're normal, you probably feel some sense of comparison. You listen to what they're doing. You think about what you're doing. What do you do when you find that you're not doing what they're doing? You don't live up to whatever it is they got going on in their world. See, I want to rescue us because I think this is, this is a real problem. I think this, this is the reason why some people don't want a fellowship. I think this is the reason why some people don't want to go to small groups. Because they feel like their life doesn't compare well with others. And then they almost want to get that off of them a certain way. And so they kind of just avoid those sort of settings. Or maybe even develop some theological position. You know, it's like those people are always putting, always feel guilty. Almost like they're making you feel guilty. No, no, no. Right? Can, we, can we remember some of the things we've been learning so far? So we got to this point. Right? If you're walking with a good doctrinal understanding, then, then you should be knowing that your acceptance in God is not based on whether you measure up to somebody else's passion. And if you're feeling like, huh, 
I can, I can talk that game too, because I've got stuff going on too. No, well, now you're in the realm of pride. Now you want to compare for all the wrong reasons. But you, if you're a healthy Christian, you need to be sitting in a setting where you feel like you're on the short end of things and be okay with that. You should be able to do that. But the Apostle Paul here doesn't apologize. He just swung the emphasis to what you're doing. I urge you, get on with it. Don't be passive. Don't be waiting to see what's going on. Do it. Do it now. Oh, man, take it easy, dude. I'm, man, man, when he comes in town, I get so uncomfortable. Some of the things he says. And you know, he tells these stories about he was stoned here and he got up and went to the next place. And he was stoned there again. And he got up again and went to the next place and preached the gospel. I would never do that. I, I, I don't like being around that guy. But Paul doesn't apologize. He doesn't say, look, hey, I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip or anything, man. Trying to urge you, but look, man, man, don't get anything. Hey, do whatever. No, he's urging you. He's in your face. Urging you. And he doesn't apologize for it. And I should be able to hear it and receive it from him. Now, it gets a little bit more complicated here. Because he says, I, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I urge you, you, to walk in a manner worthy. All right, now this is right, we've, we've swung the door here into the imperative statements in the Bible. I'm urging you to do something. I'm urging you to do it. You're the one doing it, and I'm urging you to do it. I'm urging you to walk, to walk out in a manner worthy. I'm urging you, right, your walk is, is your life. Your walk is your lifestyle. Your walk is your attitude that, that forms your ideas and your decisions that turn into actions that are guiding your life. Right? Right? That's your walk. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy. All right, now, I always encourage us to do this. When you read the Bible, read it with the implications that are in statements. Statements get made and they imply things. As well as stating things, they imply things. What does it imply that if I tell you that there is a worthy walk, then that implies there is an unworthy walk? Oh, wait, wait. See, this is where I don't like it, you know? This is where it gets uncomfortable. Now you're going to tell me that I'm falling short. Now you're going to tell me that I'm not living up. I'm not telling you anything. But that could be true. Because if there's a worthy walk, then there's an unworthy walk. So if I walk out this door today and I begin to live with certain attitudes or approach life a certain way, those things either reflect a walk that is worthy of the calling that I've received or they reflect an unworthy walk in my life. Now, can everybody just go there with me? Right? Does everybody see that? Right? These are those uncomfortable things we've gotten around. People that are more zealous than we are and they're urging us by their life and words to live a certain way that we're not living, we feel uncomfortable with that. Now we're being told that there's a walk and your walk may not measure up. Right? Parents? Husbands? Single people? Employees? I mean, I'm a, somewhere in your life, you don't feel like you're doing what you ought to be doing. Right? Okay, can you just swallow this? Somewhere in your life, you are walking in an unworthy manner. You are doing that. And listen, you know... Let's be honest here, because you know what we want? We want to go to churches and we want to be in places where that never gets said. Tell me I'm, I'm loved by God. Tell me God is a God of mercy. Tell me I'm forgiven. Tell me God is patient with me. My God is a God of love. He's all those things. I've got no gripe with any of that. We preach that and that's the truth. But this is the Bible. 
And do we have room for it in our life to come and tell us your practice and your walk at this moment in this area is unworthy? Now, remember all that we've learned, right? Can, let's not take Ezekiel chapter 36 and throw it out of the Bible. Right? The great news that we've learned so far, and I can't go back and retrench all this. But when Ezekiel makes this pronouncement of God's future intentions and plans to bless his people, they are unworthy. So this shouldn't freak you out and say, oh, if, well, if my walk is unworthy, God is through with me. God can't move in my life. God can't do anything. Uh, that's why everything's falling apart in my life. Well, you know, there could be some cause and effect things going on in your life, but it doesn't mean God's going to stop being God or that grace is no longer grace. And if you forget about that, now you're going to get weird and uncomfortable and you get around anybody who's got more zeal than you do and it'll be your last visit with them. And fellowship begins to fall to pieces. Because, you know, I'm, I get insecure when I'm around you. You know, you just love God more than me and you're doing more and, and you know... Come on. The church needs to desperately grow up. Right? And what's a worthy walk look like? Well, if you, if you were to start here in Ephesians 4 and go all the way through Ephesians chapter 6, Paul would enumerate. He'd be specific. What does a worthy walk look like? Well, these are worthy things. These are things that you should be doing as a believer. And there's some things that you should not be doing as a believer. Right? So this is helpful informing that Paul does here. Now remember, be careful. Helpful informing is not intended to become external rules that we, that we attempt on our best efforts to pull off. Right? We remember Ezekiel 36. God is the one who's going to give us His Spirit. He's going to write these things in our heart to where we want to do them. And we're motivated by the grace of God and empowered by the Spirit of God to pull off this list. Okay? But, but it is a list. Right? I just highlighted some of them. Here's your checklist. What does a worthy walk look like? Ephesians 4.17. Well, don't walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds. People who don't know God. Who are walking in emptiness of life. Pursuing life based on the fact that their soul is empty. And their mind is darkened from God. And they're making all their decisions about what's good. What party to attend. What life to live. What pleasure to have. Based on those things. Don't do that. Christian, don't do that. Ephesians 4.25, speak the truth to one another. That's a worthy walk. Ephesians 4.26, don't sin when you become angry. I am going to do a message on this at some point. The the fact that we as believers, we get sinned against, and it's almost like that that becomes permission for us to sin. I'm amazed at it. Now, children are great at this. Children always defend what they've done wrong based on what somebody else did to them. If you have children, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, why Why did you set him on fire? Well, he did this. It's almost like, you should understand. I was sinned against. It was my duty to make sure that never happened again. You know, I, I don't know what's... But, you know, what's amazing is children do this and then grown Christian adults doing the same thing. Husbands and wives doing the same thing. Well, you don't understand. She's so therefore you are what? Really? So the basis for you being a jerk is because she's a jerk. Great. That's great. Here, let me introduce you to my four-year-old. Um, <laughs> that's about where we are in some of this. See, but the Bible says, if you become angry in your anger, do not sin. Don't act on your anger. Don't let it become the motivating source of your life. Christian, don't 
Do that. That's what Paul says. With urgency, he says this. He says, don't steal anymore. I know tax season is coming. Let that appropriately touch your life. Ephesians 4.29. Don't let corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Ephesians 5.4. Stop all filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking. Watch what you say. Let your words be seasoned with grace. Let them lend something to the moment that is beneficial. Quit trying to be the class clown. Right? I mean, some of us grew up in school, and that was, our whole, that was our whole ambition in life, was to make the classroom laugh. Right? So we went from being you know, 12 years old, you know, or you know, whatever we were doing, whoo, you know, and now we're like you know, 42 years old, and we're still we're not doing this anymore. We were doing something else. It's our goal in life to make other people laugh. Well, you know, have a bigger goal than that. I mean, I enjoy laughing, and I, I, I'd probably say a lot of stupid things. But have a bigger goal. Right? Your words, they're to convey something. They're important. Watch what you say. Let it impart grace. God has put grace in you. Let grace come from your life. Do that, Christian. Ephesians 4.31. Put away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. Well, you don't know what that person did to me. I mean, you don't understand how I was raised. Listen, I'm just telling you, there's no qualifiers on this. If God had intended there to be qualifiers, he would have put qualifiers there. So he doesn't say, hey, put away bitterness. Well, most of you guys, put away bitterness. Some of you guys have situations where you're not going to be able to do that. Doesn't that sound ridiculous for me to say it that way? I mean, you've been reading the Bible a long time. Doesn't say it doesn't say, uh, don't let sexual immorality and impurity be even named among you. Don't even let it be an observation that can be discussed. Do not get drunk. Period. Don't do it. Well, you don't understand my background. You don't understand my this. And I'm labeled this. And I, you know, I've been told I was a this. And I was a... You understand? The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say don't get drunk well, unless you're an alcoholic. And then you know, do your best, but you've got your hands full and you're never going to be able to stop. You know, go to your support groups, but you're never going to stop. You know, what, what was God didn't know there were alcoholics in the world when he said this? I'm serious. This is a statement. This is God saying something to us. See, now right now, and I, and I, I hope I am stirring you up. Right now, this word is competing with other words that are in us. Some of us think that, you know, we've got such immorality issues going on that we've had impurity in our lives since we're teenagers and so get older and so we think, well, we just can't stop. Hey, the Bible is telling you, stop it. Period. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Period. Not if they do this. Not when they're worthy of you doing that. Not except for those who we understand who you're married to. We understand. You, know. you got like the 70% rule going on. This is 70% true for you. Rest of the time, really, we understand. Really, it doesn't say that. Children, obey your parents. More than obey them, honor them. How many of you know that if you've parented children, you know that you're not always honorable? Right? I mean, my kids would know. You know. Dad and mom are not always honorable, but the Bible still calls on them to honor mom and dad. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't do it. Right? These are commands. Fathers, don't do it. You got relationship issues with your children? You provoke them to anger? Stop it. I'm telling you today. I'm urging you. The Apostle Paul, I'm up in your face. I'm urging you, stop doing that. Well, you don't know my... uh, I don't have to know your 
Uh, I have my own. Uh. <laughs> Slaves, obey your masters. Ephesians 6.11 Put on the armor of God and resist the devil. Do it. You can do it. Do it. Pray at all times in the Spirit, keeping alert and persevering. Oh, man, I just have the hardest time getting the prayer life. Oh, man, I just, you know, do it. Right? This is urgency. Do it. Now, the question here, and I'll put this in your, in your outline there. Is the Bible calling you to do things you cannot do? I mean, is this, is this Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, some of the richest teaching in the Bible? Is it just fantasy, fairy tales? uninformed, ignorant Apostle Paul and God with limited revelation telling us that we should do things that we all know we can't do. We can't do these things, right? Now, I checked all the boxes off. I'm sure for all of us, if we pooled ourselves, we'd be checking them all off. But there's probably a few in here that you'd check off, wouldn't you? That I look in this area and my walk is not worthy in that area. I don't do well with a couple of these things that you just mentioned. All right, if the Apostle Paul were here today and I will play his role for him, I urge you to stop it. I urge you, don't keep doing that. Can you stop? This is very simple, isn't it? Because the answer is either yes or no. Yes, underneath that subtitle might be, and it will be very, it will be a war to stop. But, but, yes, you can. Because if you cannot, if you cannot, if you cannot change, then you cannot walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received. And if that is true, the Apostle Paul is blowing smoke because he is telling you, walk in a manner worthy. In these areas of your life, there is a way to do it that is worthy of the calling you have received. And there's a way to do it that's not worthy. That's where he's going. There's a very important word in this passage. Stay there in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. We skipped over it. But it's probably the most important word in Ephesians chapter 1. It is the word, therefore. Rule of thumb that I learned from a Bible teacher years ago. is Whenever you see the word, therefore, stop and figure out what it's there for. All right, so anytime you see the word, therefore, in the Bible... It is, it is trying to summarize something. It is trying to gather something into it. As a result of what you've just heard, as a consequence, this now is true. So there's something that precedes Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, that is going to be critical to informing everything that we just listed off that the Christian can do and should be doing. Put this note in your outline. The Bible is filled with imperative statements. And we just read through a bunch of them. There's even more there. I didn't go through all of them. And we need to hear them. We shouldn't be allergic to them. We shouldn't run from them. But they are not the starting place. I say that again? Imperative statements in the Bible, they're there. They're important. We need them. They guide us. They bring insights. 
They urge us, they exhort us, but they are not the starting place. They're not the starting place for Paul in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, is where we just began. And all these imperative commands now and exhortations are going to flow for the next three chapters. But that's preceded by three chapters where Paul has been digging into the indicative work of God, who God is and what God has done. And he is summing all that up. And he gets to Ephesians 4, verse 1, and he says, Therefore, because of all that you've just heard, because of all that I'm telling you about who God is and what God has done and what is now true of you as an indicative statement, whether you realize it or not, whether you're hearing it for the first time, whether you don't understand it, these things are all true. Therefore, live a certain way. And this is an interesting pattern because Paul does this in other places. If you, if you read the letter to the Romans, you get to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and you get a big old therefore stuck right there as well. And you need to stop and figure out, why is he putting the therefore there? Well, because he has spent 11 chapters, 11 chapters, telling you what God has done and who God is. The last three chapters are about God's sovereign right to do what God has done the way he did. Therefore, and now he begins to tell you how to live. See, so what's critical for us is, you know, have we skipped, you know, we skip in 11 chapters, are we skipping three chapters and jumping into a list of do's and don'ts, right? This is where Christianity is being lived, unfortunately. John Stott says in Ephesians 4.1, Paul turns from exposition to exhortation, from what God has done in the indicative to what we must be and do in the imperative, from doctrine to duty, from credenda to agenda, from mind-stretching theology to its down-to-earth concrete implications in everyday living. Now, here would be my concern. Here would be the focus that I want us to walk away from here today. How many of us are trying to do without first having our minds stretched? See, that's where Paul turns. Paul turns from mind-stretching theology. Paul says things in the first three chapters that are mind-blowing and mind-stretching theologically. And then he says, okay, now get about walking in a manner worthy. He doesn't just jump right into a bunch of principles. Here's, here's how you do marriage. Here's how you do this. Here's how you walk out this way. Here's how you have conversations. Here's good things to say and do to people. Right? We are looking for a to-do manual rather than a to-know manual that leads to well-informed doing. Look over in Ephesians chapter 1. Look how Paul prays this prayer. This is Paul's concern. His passion is first aimed here. Before Paul is urging people to live a certain way, he is praying for them a certain way. Ephesians 1 verse 16. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? 
according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places. See, this is Paul's starting point. It has to be ours. This is where Paul begins. When he's praying for the Ephesians, you know, we're praying for the body of Christ today. This has got to be the place where strength comes from. That sense of knowing God. Our hearts being enlightened, right? Ezekiel talked about us having a new heart. Well, that new heart needs to be an informed heart. It needs to be an enlightened heart. It needs to be a heart that's bursting forth with a revelation about who God is in categories like these. Like hope to which you've been called. And the riches of His glory and the inheritance of the saints. And the immeasurable greatness of the power of God towards us who believe. Now, you know, when Paul, if Paul's praying that prayer for us, and that's his passion for us, one, it tells me about the priority that Paul has. This is what's most important. Secondly, if he's praying that for the Christians, in spite of the fact that he has wrapped this prayer in the midst of all these indicatives which are true, apparently it matters that we know that they're true. Paul's, he's going to unfold for three chapters, and this is right in the middle of that unfolding. He's unfolding these indicative statements that God has said are all true. And he stops in the midst of that. He says, oh, I'm praying that you're going to get this. I'm praying that your heart is being enlightened to these truths. Apparently, you can be a Christian and not get it. I can be sitting here today wanting to fix my marriage, wanting to raise my kids right, wanting to fix some pattern or habit in my life, and being eager for the to-dos, but not knowing these things that are supposed to be enlightening my heart. And that's what Paul said he wanted to start with. David Powelson says, Paul never slips into giving pointers for life. This is so helpful. Because he has much bigger goals in view. He pleads with God that he would open our hearts to know Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we don't dare read the communication discussion at the end of Ephesians 4 and only say, Paul teaches four key principles. Tell the truth. Keep short accounts. Speak constructive words. Forgive others. Now listen, you know how many pulpits I've heard these kind of messages come from? You read Ephesians and it's, it's, it's tips on how to have good friends. Today we're going to talk about tips on being a good friend. How many of y'all want to be a good friend? You want to be a good friend? Think about how to be a good friend today. It's like missing the main point. He says, now these are terrific principles, but they are gutted of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, which is the point of human life. And the power and reason to obey in truth. He goes on and he says this. When people think about God by instinct, okay, by instinct, that means by what comes natural to me. My own thoughts about God. I grew up. I respond to life. I think God is a certain way. I'm responding to him. By natural instinct, when people respond to God or think about God by instinct, not by revelation, they ask many of the wrong questions like these. Will he meet my felt needs? Will he be co-pilot in my life? Oh, if you have that bumper sticker, please burn your car. <laughs> Don't even take the chance that this bumper sticker could survive in the trash. Just burn the car. Set it on fire. Can I get him to take... Can I, can I get him to make my day, my spouse, my kids, my health, and my finances work out? Oh, how many people... That, that's life for them. God is there to help these things work out. That's why God exists. Is he like a rabbit's foot? If I do my bit for God, will he do his bit for me? 
Wow, you're not getting that out of a revelation of God from the Scriptures. In a letter to the Ephesians, God tells us who He is and what He is like. Unmistakable, radically different from our instinctive opinions. Listen, hold on to this little thought I'll put in your outline. God is more about me knowing Him than He is about me being healthy, wealthy, wise, etc. Many people live their Christian walk contending and complaining because they never get this truth in their soul. They never seem to get that. It's like they're weighing everything about who God is based on whether, whether it makes me happy in my construction of what happiness means for me at this particular moment in my life. Let's listen. This is a fine line. God, you know, God is after our joy. He's after our lives being filled with joy. But, you know, when, when we kind of want God to be fanciful, to make us happy in the moment, God is not into that. God is not into a happy life as much as He's in, into a glorious life. See, a glorious life could have nails through your wrist. A happy life probably doesn't. A glorious life could be death on its way to resurrection. That the glory of God is seen in that. And you go, wow, incredible. God took my life and resurrected it from the dead. Well, a happy life says, God, don't ever let me die. Don't ever let this thing in me die. Don't ever let my ambitions and goals and dreams die. God, don't do that. You wouldn't do that. You're a rabbit foot, God. You, you, you do what I ask you to do. You, I do my part, God, and you do your part. See, I mean, it's, it's, this is not a revelation that comes from God. This is somebody who skipped Ephesians 1 through 3. And now it's trying to just live life on principles. But God didn't design us to do that. Let's see if we can look quickly here for a moment. Ephesians chapter 1. It is these indicative statements... These revelations about who God is and what He's done that empower, motivate, and inspire us to be able to walk in newness of life. Remember God said, I'm going to put my spirit within you. I'm going to write my laws on you. I'm going to reveal myself to you on the inside and cause you to walk in my statutes. Cause you to walk in my statutes. You know, I honestly, I, I, don't, I don't feel a gun to my head. Uh, I don't see any strings attached to me where God is causing me. So I don't quite fully understand what that phrase means. God is going to cause me to walk. But what I see in the New Testament is I see an an inner birth. I see this life on the inside. I see new desires that come. right? And I I live my life out of my desires. You do too. I'm doing what I want to do. Well, if God can tap into and alter and affect the things that I want, well, he will then cause me to walk in his statutes. No strings but influence and effect. So if these truths begin to influence and win and have an effect on how I think and feel about my life, Paul's praying, oh, I pray that your heart would be enlightened to the hope that you have. Well, listen, if you're not feeling empowered, you're feeling weak and unmotivated and uninspired, do you have hope in your life in that moment? No. But that's the thing Paul was praying. Oh, if you get a revelation about who God is and what he's done, you would have hope in your life. But I'm struggling in this area. What about the exceeding power of the greatness of God that's at work in you? Boy, if I got a revelation of that, I could believe I can stop doing this. Listen, any of us here today who think we can't stop doing something that we're doing, it's because we're basing our ability to be different on us, not on God. Does God really have a drinking problem? 
God can't stop either. Of course he can stop. And he can empower you to stop. Now maybe me, apart from God, won't stop, can't stop. You're right. Apart from God, I'm a lot of things. Hostile to God, selfish, sinful, absorbed in my sin, refusing to change. I'm a bunch of things. But that's not who I am anymore. Right? Two weeks ago? You remember back that far? Should a Christian continue in sin? No. How? You got unplugged from that. That thing died. Stony heart taken out. New hearts. New internals. New motherboard. Whatever computer thing you're into. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 1. This is, this is a mouthful of theology right here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Right? I, I, some of this is just too rich, and there's no way I can take time on it. But can you just go with me here? You are blessed right now with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Right? This is why all this stuff is here. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Therefore, walk in a manner worthy. Now, where do you get the oomph to walk? You get it from deep doctrines like the choosing and predestinating of God. Now, how many of us don't like to study that kind of stuff? Right? You want to talk about thin, convicted, and pragmatic? Well, you know, I read 14 verses and two of them said this, and that's just my position. Wow. Really? That's not even all the Bible says about it, much less wrestle with it and ask God what it means. Well, I just, I just, you know, those are controversial. I just choose not to just look at some of that. This is the reason why Paul says, therefore. He says, therefore, because these things are true. Right? It's matter. And just, a, I don't have time to do all this. Um, these doctrines matter. Some of us just want to stay away from them forever. You, you can't stay away from them. They're revelations about God and what he's done. And when you get them into your soul and your heart gets enlightened by them, it produces hope and power and effectiveness. So therefore, you can live a certain way. Where are we at here? Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight. See, when you get this revelation that your sins are forgiven, every one of them, everyone you ever committed, everyone you ever will commit, they are washed and cleansed by the blood of Christ. Your acceptance before God has been established by Christ and His blood. Period. Therefore, walk in a manner worthy. See, one of the reasons why we fail so much as Christians is because we don't get our doctrine straight. We fail, we get into sin, and, and now we don't want to get around God because we think God doesn't get around us. We don't want to draw near to God because we can't draw near to God. We sin, as a matter of fact, if I, sin, if I die right now and my sin is not repentant, I'm going straight to hell. I mean, so we've got all these ideas floating around us. Well, who's going to draw near to God? Because you think 
You think you can draw near to God based on how well you're doing. Please show me that from Ezekiel 36. Show me that from the Bible. It is God drawing near to unworthy men and then calling them by His grace and saying, let us now with confidence draw near to the throne of God's grace. Why? Because your sins have been wiped out and forgiven and God is no longer rewarding you according to them. Remember Hebrews? I know I'm gathering a bunch of thought here, but you know those, those teachings from the last few weeks, they can't stay three weeks ago and you're kind of going, well, I don't know, man. I just don't feel like God accepts me. Oh, oh don't come near me. Okay, I'm going to hurt you. After all we've talked about, does it matter how you feel or does it matter what God has said? My goodness, the Son of God died on the cross to make these things true. And I'm walking around, well, I don't, I don't feel like that. I don't feel like that. Well, seriously, some serious more reading needs to be done. Look in verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose that He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. God is working all things according to the counsel of His will. Always has, still is, and always will. Now now view your life through that lens. View your difficulty right now through that lens. God is right now in your life working all things according to the counsel of His will. God has a purpose and a plan. And He has not taken a day off. He's at work in your life right now, but it looks terrible. He's at work in terrible. He might even be bringing terrible for the sake of something greater. He might even be allowing death for the purpose of resurrection. And you know what? If I know God's at work in me dying so that He could resurrect me, you know what? Quite honestly, I'm all right with that. And if you're not all right with that, what do you, you want something besides what God wants? Of course not. Not if you're a Christian, not if the, God's working in your heart. You want what God wants. So if I, but see, this is where death becomes difficult. When I lose sight of the purpose of God. When I lose sight of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. I lose sight of that and then I, okay, therefore walk in a manner worthy while I'm depressed. I'm not happy. Things are going bad. I, I, you know, I can't possibly. Well, that's not a worthy walk. Okay, walking around depressed is not a worthy walk because it, it advertises the fact that you've already lost sight of the fact that God is at work and He is in control and He is bringing things to pass according to His plan. Well, you know, I, 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 whether you say it or not, you don't believe that. Either that or you don't know it. See, do you understand how it matters what you know when you go to live your life? Therefore, walk in a manner worthy. What are we doing here? I've got three minutes. If you read the rest of those three chapters, you're going to find huge statements after huge statements after huge statements of what God has done. One of our, our favorite things about Ephesians is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. We are saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourself, it's a gift of God that no man can boast. We love that verse. right? We love it because it puts, it puts salvation in the hands of God and takes it away from us messing it all up. right? We love that. I don't know how it is that we've grown to love Ephesians so much and forget it, that starting with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it's do this and do that and do this and do this and don't do that. Stop doing that. You shouldn't be doing that anymore. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't even smell this way. I mean, that's where Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 go. But we love 
Ephesians 2. And we should. Those things should inform us of how we live. See, all these things, all these things bring us. And look right there before we get to chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees. Right? He's just laid out all this indicative truth. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Right? This is Ezekiel 36. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. Right? It matters that we know these things. With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly. Right? To Him. These are indicative statements. It's about God, what He's capable of. I may not be capable of much, but to Him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, I, the Apostle Paul, urge you, walk in a certain way. Did you see what Paul just did? He pumped God up before us to be who He really is and to do what He's already done on our behalf and postured us with all that knowledge. And He says, now, now go live. Now you have the the knowledge you need to live your life. Now, let me close with with this. The real challenge for us in in getting on track in our walk is in what we know and what we are convinced of, convicted of, and what we believe. That's the real challenge. Remember, we started with this warning. The Christian walk is poorly lived if it is ill-informed. It takes good knowing to produce good living. A question, is your walk being adequately informed? I'm just warning you in advance. You you, you attend seminars on how to do things, read books on how to do things, and there's a place for that. It's very important. Half of Ephesians is about how to do things. But if you're not armed with the right information, you're going to get under the weight of a treadmill, and you're going to feel like you're constantly condemned and constantly falling short. Because you're too much in touch with a measuring rod and not enough in touch with the ruler is gone. Right? The indicatives have released you from performing to a certain level. You don't, get, you don't get accepted by God on any of that basis. That's not why you do any of these things. But you need to be released from that before you start trying to be a parent, be a husband, etc. Today's reader and the books being bought... Question, how many books on theology did you read last year? Just think for a second. How many books did you sit down, theologically driven, clear picture of God, who He is, what He's done? How many of those books did you read last year? How much time each week is devoted to learning of God rather than just doing for God? Christianity is dry and lifeless because we've turned it into principles and externals rather than indicative revelations that are empowered by the now present Spirit of God that want to come screaming out of me, inspiring me to live a certain way, not just to some external things that I'm reading about and I'm trying to my best efforts to put them on. Now here's what we want to do with this. 
want to introduce you guys, introduce you guys to something we'll clarify a little bit more next week. It's the Book of the Month Club. Every month we want to try and, and get everybody in the church to be reading through at least a book in that month. So at the end of the year, you would have read 12 books that, that we hope and, and trust the recommendations will serve you, will benefit you, will strengthen your walk, will inform you, will give you Ephesians 1 through 3 so that you can live 4, 5, and 6. Right? But, but we cannot be a people who are not reading. And we have to be careful about what we are reading. And I did a little survey of the Christian Booksellers Association, the top 20. Top 20 selling Christian books. Seven books on marriage, five fictional novels. Two books on finances. Okay, not a lot of theology there. And I don't, we have books on finance. We have books on marriage. We recommend those things. But listen, if all you're doing is reading how to not overspend, how to be a husband and a wife, how to, how to, how to, how to, how to, right? I may not know enough. You know, the more you learn how to do things and the more you fall short and you're not armed with good theology, you're going to want to quit. You're going to be so discouraged. You need the first three chapters of Ephesians. You need to be reading and what God has done. See, the reason why we don't want to read that stuff is because we want stuff that's pragmatic and works by the time I'm finished reading the chapter. I want to be able to apply this in 10 minutes. I just had a fight with my wife. You know, where's that chapter? Conflict resolution. Uh, say this, do that, flowers. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, you know, I need a revelation of God. The reason why I'm fighting with my wife is because of things in me that need to be overcome by a revelation of God that would produce humility in my life and love and passion the way he is. Right? So, so next week, we're going to introduce you to the Book of the Month Club and we're going to inform you about how that works. And, and I hope this week you'll consider, you know, what's the shape of what I know? In my life, God, am I knowing the things that I need to know about you and what you've done so that I might live the life that you've called me to live? Or am I skipping the first step? Okay, now, quite honestly, I think too much of the church is skipping the first step. Right? I would say this across the board. There is not enough reading and study in the body of Christ. In our information age, we want, something, we want to press a button and click and we want it to come out with an answer. It's not enough reading and study. Guys, this will never get fixed. We want to walk in newness of life. I'm going to tell you right now, you will never, you will never walk in newness of life by skipping the first three chapters of Ephesians and trying to start your walk. It'll never happen. Paul didn't do it, uh, explain it that way and you and I can't do it. So let's close in prayer. We're going to have our baptisms. Father, wet our appetite for the amazing encounter that occurs. What the Apostle Paul must have felt as he pinned what he knew from his eye view of who you are. That we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Wow! That we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise as a down payment. Oh God, you're present in me. Yes, you are. And it's a down payment. That's so why I know you're coming back. You're going to complete this thing. You're going to be faithful. Even though I feel like you shouldn't be. God, I know you are because your spirit is in me as a pledge that you're going to finish this deal.
Wow. Lord, thank you for the hope and the riches of this inheritance that you have in the saints. God, thank you for the surpassing greatness of the power that's at work in me. Oh, God, I can change. God, I can walk in that area. God, I, I can lead my family. God, I can stop that area of sin. If your power is at work in me, I can do it. God, I, I can, I'm, I'm going to do it. God, thank you for revelation that precedes action. Lord, help us to get that right. Help us to learn to charge the batteries of our soul on the revelation of who you are and what you've done. And then to go and do and to live and walk in a manner worthy of the amazing calling that you've given to us, your people. In Jesus' name, amen.